0: Hey, have, uh, have you guys ever had a day where everything goes wrong? I just nothing, nothing goes right at all. Um, it just makes me say thank God for new mercies every morning, right? I had one of those days yesterday uh, working on a project and just nothing went right. And, and when I say, you know, nothing went right uh, or bad day, here I'll just give you one scene from it. At one point of the day, I found myself laying on a concrete floor, looking up at the ladder I had just been on, and Noah's eyes going like this. And it was one of these perfect landings where you say, if I had landed a little further back, everything would have been broken. But I did find out I don't bounce anymore. So uh, anyway, just one of those days, and and that day was followed. I went to bed, I thought, okay, good. The day's over, thank God. So I go to bed and at 1.48 this morning, My dog, who is this big, okay, snores like a 2,000-pound elephant, woke me up. And I was like, my gosh. It was like the timbers were rattling in the house, and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I ended up staying up all night long, just getting grumbly and, you know, even worse and worse and worse. And so finally I turned on the TV, and, uh, you know, I was like, i got to watch something. And I saw that Noah or one of the kids had just been watching The Chosen, so I thought, well, I'll pick up where they're at. So I ended up watching two episodes of The Chosen, and at 3, about 3.40 in the morning, and then again about 5.15, I was full-on just weeping, just weeping. I mean, as hard as I've cried in a long time, and what got me was what Tom was talking about earlier. It was just, it was, there were these miracle scenes, and it was just seeing the love And the goodness of God, just getting a vision of how wonderful God is. And it ended up being a pretty great night after all, and the start of a really good morning with incredible worship. So um, I I say that today, um, just about the love and the goodness of God, because we're going to explore the most famous passage in the Old Testament today. Um, Maybe it's tied with Psalm 23, but we're going to be looking at Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And right away, I want to challenge our mindset on the Ten Commandments. Um, on the one hand, they are commands. They are rules. They are standards for a holy life, a life of faith. But the Ten Commandments were originally given to Israel for a reason. And it was more than just what I mentioned. They're also given to us for a reason. That um, They were given to be instructions for a life of. Of worship, and you opened up talking about that, Tom. I mean, I don't—I didn't see you peek at my notes, but the Ten Commandments—they they really are an invitation into a lifestyle of worship. And so, I just—I just want us to think about that, understand that, and then I will pray, and then we're going to dive into the ten. You ready? All right, Father God, we take ourselves today, and we place ourselves underneath Your Word. Father, we need your word. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Father, your word is nourishment for us. And God, we are asking today that by your spirit, you will speak to the depths of who we are. Father, that you would order our steps by what we, what we just glean from your word today, and we pray all of that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. God spoke all of these words, beginning with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So God opens up very practically saying, look, I'm the Lord, okay? I am God. I am the one who set you free from the life you've known for the last 430 years, and I set you free to be my people. And here is the life I'm calling you to as my family, as my children, these are rules for a good life, a holy life, a rich life of growing in me and knowing me. And now on to commandment number one, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. The message here is a simple one, okay? It is this, because I alone saved you, okay, from the lips of God, I alone saved you, I alone am the one you are to worship. And folks, that is going to set Israel apart from the very beginning, okay? This one command, you stop with number one, they are vastly different from every nation around them because all the nations in the ancient Near East had multiple gods, God after God. In fact, where have they just been, Egypt? you know how many many gods there were in ancient Egypt at this time? Over 1,500 known gods. So by worshiping one God, Israel is set apart. They're, They're very different from everyone else around them. All right, commandment number two, verses four through six. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Okay, now we hear that and automatically go, okay, we're not going to run out and worship the gods of other nations. That was kind of set apart in the first one there. You know, we're not going to worship Hindu gods and other gods. So that, that much is obvious. But note here that there is the command not to make an image of anything and worship it. In other words, for Israel, don't go out and carve an idol of me and worship it. And there's a reason for that, okay? The reason for that is there is nothing on this earth And there is no craftsman that could ever depict God accurately. There is nothing that comes close to revealing who he he is. But I think this also applies, gulp, to those earthly things that we also like to worship. You know, there are things, and we might not make a statue of it, but there are things in our lives, things around us that we are tempted to worship. You know, I mean, this happens all the time, doesn't it, with really nice stuff or, you know, my incredible career or my status in the community. Um, you know, just all kind of things. I mean, sometimes we can even do this ironically with worship styles. You know, sometimes we come to actually worship the style of worship and, and kind of misgod. I mean, I, I've heard people say stuff like that before. You know, man, it's not worship if, if it's not if it's not all hymns or Oh, no, it's got to be all praise and worship, or it doesn't count. That, 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 that's a form of worship. People do it with politics. But but the, but the point here is that our, our preferences can become sacred cows that we worship, and they do damage to our faith. So this is a good command, okay? Um, command number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord... Will, hold, uh, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Okay, first of all, why is that a problem? Well, what's the big deal about misusing the name of the Lord our God? Well, it is because the name of the Lord God, the name of the Lord itself is holy. It's so holy that the Jews wouldn't even utter the name. They would use Adonai, Elohim, other names, but they would not even utter the name of the Lord their God. So it's a name that is to be held in honor by his people. So that's why it's a problem. But what does it mean to misuse the name of the Lord our God? That's a good question. And there are two leading theories on that one, okay? I think there's merit to both of them. The first one is using God's name as a cuss word or using God's name to curse someone. Pretty bad idea, right? A bad idea of using the name. But it also, the second theory, is to to also make a claim in God's name, like a, a false prophecy. Um, that's why in the Old Testament, you know, hey, here's what God says to you. He did? Well, let's do it. That's why in the Old Testament, they would stone false prophets because they're using God's name to manipulate or for leverage. I I once had a friend, no, I wasn't going to tell the story, but I will. I once had a friend who did the same, um, he went up to, to a girl that he liked. He was a young Christian, full of zeal. Went up to a girl he really liked, and he said, you know, the Lord told me that you were going to be my wife. And her response was classic. She said, well, that, that sounds like a wonderful idea. As soon as the Lord tells me that, we'll do it, okay? So, but but it, it, it serious, uh, seriously, though, the bottom line is we want to treasure the name of God in, in, in every respect and, and not in any way tarnish it. All right, here's a big one. You ready for this one? Number four, eight through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son, your daughter, or your male or female servant, your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, the reason I, I kind of said, hey, get ready for, for command number four is because this is a command, commandment number four, that has been wildly abused in both directions. Um, there, are, there are some... Uh, believers out there who disregard it altogether, just completely disregard Sabbath, and they just run full speed ahead all day long. Then there's the other group. um, that that There's some that have turned it into a rigid, legalistic command, and they'll say stuff like, in my household, we don't even blink on the Sabbath. Uh, Sit in the chair and stay there all day long. And the problem is both of those understandings really miss the heart of God on this commandment. So here's the deal with the Sabbath, okay? The deal is God rested after creation. And as his creation, we are called to follow his example. The Sabbath is a holy day. You know, we said the Israelites are set apart as a nation, right? The Sabbath is set apart as as a holy day to the Lord, and we keep it holy by doing what we just just did with Tom. We, we do it by coming together as a spiritual family and worshiping and praising our God. That's one way that we keep it holy, but we also keep it holy by putting down the heavy burdens that we carry the rest of the week. And so for some of us, Sabbath looks like a holy nap after church. Hallelujah, you're godly if you do that. I do it too. And and for some of us, The Sabbath may be a day where we do some things, but but we never break out of that mindset of worship. It's something we can do, but we can still focus on God. We can continue to worship him. Um, And by the way, this is interesting, sons and daughters and servants and foreigners and animals, those are all mentioned because another way that we keep the the Sabbath is that we care for those who are around us. We show love. We care for them on that day. We, again, are modeling the same God who loves and cares for us. So those are the first four commandments, and they all strongly point, or very very clearly point to God. The next six point to other people, okay? Here we go, number five. Honor your father and mother, that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, you might not have known this, but this is universally uh, the favorite command of every parent in the room, right? I mean, this, we love this command, right? Kids, did, did you hear what the Word of God said? You need to honor us. And it's very true, you know, obedience, submission, all of that. But there's a point behind this one, okay? And the point is this, and this is another shocker. For a child coming into the world, your parent is your very first relationship, Okay? but not just your very first physical relationship, it's your very first relationship with authority. And so what happens in the home is, is what ends up happening for the rest of life with a child. If a child can't learn to honor and obey parents, they will have problems and unhealthy relationships with authority their whole lives. And the assumption here is in scripture, to point this out, the scripture is, is speaking to a spiritual community, so it's calling for moms and dads to be good and godly moms and dads and for children to submit to that. But but it's important. It affects the rest of life. And by the way, living long in the land the Lord will give you, that that isn't, that isn't a statement of curse like any kid that sasses their parents, God's going to smite them, okay? If the, you disobey the rules, God is just going to crush you. What it means here really from the Hebrew is, society will end up breaking down um, if we disobey and dishonor our parents. And you might hear that and go, wait a minute, what society's going to break down if I'm a disobedient child? Yes. You know why? Because rebellious children grow into rebellious adults. They don't live long in the land that the Lord, their God, gives them. There's no life to it at all. And by the way, if you track that historically, if you look at nations in history that were known to be rebellious, spiritually rebellious, or you know, just attack, 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 none of them live long, very short lifespan. Um, even the nation that, that, that's over, uh, the Israelites in the New Testament, the empire of Rome, terrible end to, to, to that empire. So there you go. Okay. Um, Number six, okay, and some of these are going to be a little shorter because they're obvious. I'll touch on them anyway. Number six, do not murder, okay? We all know what murder is. Um, In Scripture, murder is forbidden, and there's a reason. We get it from Genesis, because God is the author of life, and he is the sustainer of life, period. And that prohibition against murder, it holds all the way through Scripture, And guess what? It's still with us today. In scripture, the only thing that would not apply to would be war or criminal execution, but that really wouldn't fit the definition of murder anyway. But anyway, so it's just a strong, strong prohibition. All right? Number seven husbands and wives, seventh commandment do not commit adultery. We know what adultery is, and the point is simple with this one adultery destroys marriages. Adultery destroys families. Adultery destroys societies. I can say this as a pastor. Well, no, not just as a pastor. I'll say this as a person. I have never met anyone who said to me, I committed adultery and nobody got hurt. I committed adultery. It all ended up being just fine. Forgiveness? Yes, absolutely. It's forgiveness in God's sight, but for, it's, it's a forbidden for a real reason. Okay, Number eight. Do not steal. Now, this one is tricky. Okay, do not steal means if you don't own it, hands off. There you go, right there. Um, but seriously, the theft is is more than just property disappears from somebody. Uh, theft brings violence. It's it's loss financially. It brings distrust, fear, victimization. Stay away from it. Okay, number nine. Now, this one actually is tricky. Uh, We often translate commandment number nine as do not lie. Now, and it might even be in some of your Bibles as do not lie. That also is a good idea, okay? We should not lie. But as Peter ends and other commentators point out here, here the context is legal, okay? Do not bear false witness. This is talking about the courtroom, and um, it's a command... that, that when and if you go to court, be an honest witness. Be truthful in your testimony. And there's a reason for that, and the reason is another shocker. There's so many shockers in this sermon. Back in ancient Israel, you ready for this? There was no video equipment, okay? No forensic equipment, no DNA uh, uh, testing, nothing like that. So the only evidence that they had in a courtroom was testimony. And so this is going into court, knowing that your testimony could literally send someone to prison or end their life. Therefore, be truthful. Okay? Pretty simple. And then we'll end with number 10 here, telling us not to covet, okay? And that is not to lust after anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's not just his wife, but it's his wife, his stuff, his people, his property, anything. Don't lust after anything. Instead, and the idea here is be thankful for what you've been given. Trust God to meet your needs. And by the, and you might say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, it's just a desire. You know, a little desire floating around in my head. The problem is desires, if they continue to grow, they do turn into actions, right? I mean, think of King David. He sees Bathsheba. Just a desire, end of story. has her husband killed, takes her as his wife, and it shakes his kingdom to the to the very foundation. Woo, okay, that's the Ten Commandments, all right? Pretty good stuff. I think we got it. But now let's go to the finale, verses eighteen through twenty one. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. The conclusion to the Ten Commandments is absolutely fascinating as the, the Israelites experience what we call in the theological world a theophany. They experience the theophany, and they recoil in terror of God. Now, I'll tell you what a theophany is. It is simply a God appearance. It is, it, it is a manifestation of God. The eyes and the, Our eyes and ears are involved, and um, every time they happen in Scripture, you always get the same reaction out of human beings. They fall apart. They tremble. They hide their faces. They cry out in terror. And every single time this happens, God says the very same thing to the people. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Moses does the same thing here, okay? He says the same thing here, but then he says something else, and I want us to hear this. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of him will keep you from sinning. Do you hear that? It's like, wait, hold up, Moses, wait. Did you hear what the words that just came out of your mouth? It sounds like Moses said, don't be afraid. God is sending an ordeal so massive to you that for the rest of li- of your lives, you will be so terrified of him that you will never ever sin again, right? It sounds like that. And That's what we hear in English but here's what it's like from Hebrew context. Moses is saying, look, don't be afraid. God does not want you enslaved in a debilitating fear of condemnation anymore. That was Egypt, that's over. God doesn't want you that way anymore. God is showing you his greatness and his glory so that you will know his love and power are real and you will know his love and power are yours. God is inviting you into what he just laid out, a life of worship. He's he's inviting you to love him and to live for him. The test is what you're going to do with that. The test is how you're going to respond to that. Will you or won't you? And then as you read along, if you want to flip through your Bibles, you can, for the next 11 chapters, there are instructions, real detailed instructions about uh, how how to Treat servants, um, the temple, worship. God just lays out all these beautiful instructions. And then in chapter 32, the people respond to the Ten Commandments. They respond to all the other instructions. They respond in Exodus 32 by worshiping a golden calf. They respond to all of this by worshiping a, a, a cow. It's just incredible. I mean, I I wrote these words down in the paper when I I typed this out. I I typed out, wow. I read Jane that line, and she went, wow. It's just, I heard you guys do it too. It's just, it's unthinkable. And that's what happens. And looking back on all of this, there is so much that we could say today. I mean, oh, we could talk and talk and talk about the 10 and the instructions. But what I want to do is I want to focus on the end of this story to end this sermon. Remembering that the Ten Commandments are an invitation into a life of worship. A life of worship. Let's boil down worship. How does worship happen for us? What fuels worship for us? For us, worship all boils down to what we believe about God. It all comes down to who we believe he is. Some of us grew up some of us grew up, uh, I'm one of them, believing for the first years of my life that God was like Clint Eastwood. I mean, you know, like uh, Outlaw Josie Wells, I believe God was, you know, with the poncho, and he, and he walks out in the middle of the street, and it's, <whistles> wah, wah, wah. That might be good, bad, and the ugly, actually. But anyway, he walks out, and he moves that poncho, and there's his gun, and his finger's just itching. God's just ready to blow us away for our sins. Others, some people believe that, um, you know, God's not angry or ready to kill you. God's just up there disappointed, so disappointed with your failures and your weaknesses, and, you know, here you are sinning. You prayed about this this morning, and it's not even noon yet, and you've done it again, you know? And God's just up there just constantly shaking his head, looking at the angels and going, well, you see, look at this one. And then there, there are others who believe that God loves Everyone, except them. God loves everybody but me. All of that is a very real fear that gets in the way of worship. It, it, it cripples worship in our lives. It's a real fear that plays out with what we see here with the people of Israel at the very end of the story. Remember verse 21 says, when Moses called them out of slavish fear into a new life of fearing God in a relationship of worship and holiness and love, it says the people did what? They remained at a distance. Now, part of that is because Moses is going back up the hill, but there's a word play here as well in Hebrew. It's, you know, they started off at a distance afraid. Moses says, hey, come on, don't be afraid. Let's go into this life of worship. They remained at a distance. They remained distance chained to their old fears, and it shut their hearts down in worship. It, it, it crippled them, their ability to receive anything good from God. And if you look at the nation of Israel, that's it. I mean, God continues to give, but it's they, they never receive it. They never hold on to it. It doesn't fuel their lives. The same thing happens to us when fear holds on to us, when, when fear has, has captured us, it keeps a hold of us. It shuts our hearts down in worship. And it cripples our ability to receive anything from God. You know, biblically, there are some things that happen every Sunday, whether you know it or not. One is that God has made a promise to us that wherever two or more of us gather in his name, he's here. And we say this from time to time. We say, hey, you know, when God is in the room, he's not here watching us. You know, it's not like God is sitting up in the rafters going, all right, Tom, Morgan, Sarah, Luis, I hope you all do a good job here. Steve, get the sermon right. God's not spectating. God is here to participate. God's here to to mend hearts, to to open eyes, to renew us. Hey, and yes, if we're in, in sin, to call us out of that, to forgive us of those sins, to clean us up, to fill us up with his love. God is here to turn our lives around, to annihilate fear. He says the same thing to us that he says to Israel. Brothers and sisters, child of God, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me. I am here to deliver you from your fears, fears of condemnation, fear of death, fear of punishment. That's why I sent Jesus Christ for you. That that, that was the whole purpose of the cross, for Jesus to defeat death, condemnation, to remove fear from our lives. God wants us to experience his love. His power, his presence—you know, God says to us, "Taste and see that I am good. I made you for a purpose. You know what that purpose is? We say it all the time as Presbyterians: the chief end of man is to get that, glorify God, worship Him, and enjoy Him forever. And so, if, if if you're at a distance, if you're living in fear today, I have, I have a verse of scripture for you, okay? If you don't have a life first, take this one temporarily, okay? Here it is. 1 John 4, 18. It says that there is no fear in love, and that's God's love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God is here by his spirit to remove fear from your life and replace it with something so much better, and that's his love. Folks, God had so much more in store for the Israelites. He had so, much, so many places to take him in his heart, so many things to show it. And in large part, the Israelites missed much of what God wanted to do with them. Well, here's your news flash. We don't have to. We don't have to. We live on this side of history. We have as the church, we have an empty cross, an empty tomb. Jesus has defeated fear, death, and shame. And that means your fear, death, and shame. The Holy Spirit has been poured out so we can experience freedom and we can experience joy. So why settle for anything less than that? I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna invite Tom and the crew up. I'm gonna pray, Tom, for a couple minutes here. Um, If you need prayer today at the end of this, You're struggling with fear, and if that's you, um, be of good cheer because most people do. Most people struggle profoundly with fear, and that's not just people on the outside who never show up at church and don't call Jesus Lord. A lot of us struggle with it. It attacks us many times in our life, but if you're struggling with it, receive this prayer, and if you need prayer after the service, that room is going to be open. Someone will pray with you a little longer if you need to, okay? So, Play for me, Tom, and I'm going to pray for a couple of minutes, and we'll just minister here. Father God, you made us for, for life with you. You didn't make us to exist, to uh, get on a treadmill of existence or um, you know, just a gerbil wheel of day after day, struggle after struggle, defeat after defeat. Lord, you didn't make us to be like Charlie Brown on, on the, the pitcher's mound with that rain cloud just pouring down on us and us being defeated and living a life of shame and fear. And Lord, we all know that you're working on us and we, 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 we welcome that process. We know it that some of that takes a while. But Lord, you, you sent Jesus Christ to annihilate fear, to destroy fear in our lives. You came to, to give us perfect love and today we want to receive your perfect love. And Father God, where we have partnered with fear in our lives, maybe we say things, we rehearse it, you know, we we take it in. Lord God, where we've done that, we ask your forgiveness. Father, we don't want our confession to be what went wrong and, oh, what's going to happen next, but who you are and what you've promised and what you've done. So Father, just help us to take that natural step. But yet, Lord, as I pray that we also cannot set ourselves free. We do not have the ability to rescue ourselves, to fix ourselves, to save ourselves. And so together, we just look up to you and we hold that fear out. Just here it is, Lord. Here is that fear, whatever it is in our lives. And Father, we ask you to just remove it in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, to just pluck it out by the roots in Christ's name. Fill that place with love, Lord God. Plant your love in that place. Father God, we were made to love you and to be loved by you, and we don't want anything less than that. So God, we just rejoice that you break the chains of fear. You set us free so that we don't have to live at a distance from you, but we can come with arms wide open and love you and love you to the full. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for these beautiful Ten Commandments. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us how to live and then empowering us to Do the very thing you've called us to. What a great father you are. We bless you today in Jesus' name.